Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hi, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. I've just showered. Can you tell? Do you smell me, babe? Do you smell me, babe? I don't. Oh, man, babe. I mean, I would if I were right next to you, but you we- You probably would. I smell exquisite. <laughs> we arrange the office as such that I cannot smell you from this distance. <sighs> oh, my God. I just realized. I forgot what? to moisturize. Do we need to stop? Maybe. I've been trying to be good about this. I think it's too late. I think it's over now. I think you missed your window. From what I understand about moisturization- You're supposed to do it right after you shower. Right, as to uh-huh. lock in the freshness. Uh-huh. Everything's oh, open. Oh, God, babe. You got to fill it up with moisture. All the hard work I've done. Now, what if you go shower again? (laughs) Now we're talking, get juicy again, seal that in. Of course, then you'll be double dry, and so you'll need to double moisturize. Double moisturize. And then- I can do that. You'll be slippery. I can do that. And you might fall and hurt yourself. That's my concern. I'll probably, yeah. And you get you some gripper socks like we have for Gus, you know, with little treads on the bottom. That would be huge for me, actually. I feel like I have at times owned gripper socks in my life. And there's a sense of security that comes along. I mean, they it. give them to you at trampoline parks. Hospitals. And hospitals. Those are the two big ones. <laughs> Those are the slipperiest to places. just know, I've got a lot that could and will go wrong today. But doing a slip on, in the kitchen on the hardwood floors is not is no longer one of those possibilities mm-hmm. because of the gripper socks. I could also just wear shoes all the time. Become a real no, sneakerhead. No, because you know we don't wear shoes in the house, Griffin. That's true. You are wearing slippies right now, which feels like a cheat code. Well, these don't go out. They don't go outside. They, I guess they don't. Although sometimes they do when I have to bring the trash can out. Yeah, or a son goes wayward. <laughs> sometimes a son will just <laughs> fucking go. Gus is at the point now where he has a fair amount of language skills, but there's also some habits, and one of them is just leading us to the door. Yeah. As if like, and now we're going outside. Well, I've determined our plans for now. <laughs> yeah, we've established a pretty bad pattern with him of thinking that he is the, he is the one that is in charge of our sort of daily direction. The outside thing gets me so excited, though. Yeah. Because I, I think I have a deep fear about our children just surrendering to the indoors at a very young age. And so when they want to go outside, I will drop everything and be like, yes, yes, let us go outside if only but a minute. I'm sure they will make (laughs) that decision eventually. (laughs) But because we certainly made the decision to be inside. You say that? But I was much more of an outdoor kid, I think, than you. Yeah, I mean, you went to art camp and stuff. Yeah, I was was outdoors. Like every summer, I was outdoors all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I was too, man. I went to I went to church camp, and they, sometimes we did like capture the flag and stuff. <laughs> so only we called it capture the Bible, <laughs> and we would hide our Bible, <laughs> not somewhere dirty, because you're not supposed to do that. Anyway, and this, then a team would run with it across the field, and you'd have to try and tackle them. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's basically it. It sounds weird, actually, when someone who didn't do it says it. Like, I feel like you're not giving it a fair shake, mm-hmm. maybe. This is wonderful. So shall we talk about things we like that is good and we do like them? Oh, did we start the show? <laughs> and this is, uh, this this week, we're going to start things off a little differently by doing a small wonder. Uh, and maybe you could start us off by doing your small wonder, or I could start us off by doing a small wonder. And, and that's what's going to happen now. Um, I'm going to say something that's going to make me sound like a real jock. And oh, shit. 
I, I, when it comes to hand weights. Here we go. Here we go. Let me get comfortable. I really like the kettlebell. Yeah. And I, I think it's because it seems more fun to me. And, and it seems like more of a toy than a hand weight. Oh, yeah. I'm always playing with these things. I can't stop myself. They're like Funko Pops. The reason I would never go under the label of Jock is that I have not consistently incorporated fitness into my life ever. Um, but when I do approach a weight, yeah, I like it to be a kettlebell. You watch a lot of sports. We watch a lot of sports. Just hockey. We watch a lot of sport. Sport period, yes. And you have thoughts about kettlebells. Babe, lean into it. <laughs> you know? I, I, I have never possessed a protein powder. I feel like that's the final frontier. What's stopping you? Nothing. Going to the store and buying the protein powder is the only, the only gate between you and your destiny. I'm going to say the Great Wolf Lodge. We, went yeah. to, we had our first Great Wolf Lodge experience this past weekend. If you don't know what that is, it is a chain of... Resort feels there's nothing luxurious about the Great Wolf Lodge. No, it, it I mean, is entirely a, utilitarian experience. But it would, like, by definition, be like a resort for kids for children. It is a refreshing change of pace from the things that we usually do, uh, where you know we'll go to a convention or some sort of event uh, that will be entirely adult focused and yeah. bring our kids with us, and then struggle to find things for them to do this is the inverse where you have your bowling your laser tag arcades a thing called magic quest which is like man i don't know an the interactive technological that? treasure hunt throughout the, the yeah, hotel grounds. and then the water park of course the water park has got it all we were there for about 36 hours and i i thought i would die at several yeah. points we came home and the four of us Got the best night of sleep I think we've ever, we all slept until like eight o'clock. It was outrageous. <laughs> I think I was trying to figure out like Disney is obviously much larger. Sure. Why am I more tired than I am at Disney? And I think it's just because Disney, by nature of rides, you are sitting Sometimes, occasionally. Or standing still. Another feature of Disney Great World. Great Wolf Lodge, no Always sitting. on the move. I got very excited in the arcade there. Of course, with a almost two-year-old, it's very easy to just sit in front of an arcade machine and yeah. never pay any money. And there was one, like a Space Invaders. Space Invaders. Invader, I forget what it's called, but it's, yeah. I mean, it's just basically like a chair in front of Space Invaders. And Gus really liked it. And so I got to sit yeah. for minutes at a time. Yeah. It was huge, huge for us. It was a fun time, though. It wore us, wore us out, but it was- It was fun. It, it delighted the children, and it, it takes a, a mental load off to not have to struggle to like think of things to do uh, to like keep your kids active and entertained and stuff. Things to do is like 80% of the reason we moved to this city. That's true. You know, like this is very important to us. That's true. Um, you go first this week, I believe. Yes. So it's funny that you um, mentioned your smell. Okay. Are you going to talk about my smell? Is your topic my smell? <laughs> no. I would love to hear you sort of put put words. You put your poet's tongue to m my body. Wow. <laughs> that one. I want to give space around that. Can we just sit in silence for a while? Can we just acknowledge and give that the space it needs? And give it a little grace, maybe even. What's your subject this week? 
It is olfactometers. This is cool. It is like a device to measure smell. This is sci-fi. This, this is, is real. Gene Roddenberry sort of. I'm going to show you a picture. Hollow projection. Just it better look like started. a fucking nose. Well, no. Well, okay. It's, it's like a, a telescope, telescope for your nose. It's like an elephant telescope. <laughs> a telephant telescope. <laughs> an elephant. Telem- telephant. No, that just sounds like telescope. a scope for elephants. Yeah, I don't think that portmanteau's in there. You would think it's it's deceptive. You think there's a great portmanteau there, but there's really not. So I'm going to take you on the journey that I went on. Teleskind. No, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) So this morning, Griffin was complaining a lot about the bad smell that our son made in his diaper. With his butt. And then he lit a candle, very fragrant, but in the- Very Christmassy candle. Positive direction, I think. I like that candle. It's a a little, it's very balsam forward, is what I'll say. Yeah, definitely does smell like several months ago in our house right now. Uh, and then I decided I was going to make like a Thai peanut sauce, okay. uh, like chicken thing for dinner in our crock pot. And I realized like my morning has been full of smells. Very fragrant. Uh, I wonder what you they're- didn't ha- You say this, you were not there for- I wasn't. And let, let me just say- I'm I've sorry been, you were alone. I've been interfacing with diapers for six years now. Um, this one was, this one was special. This was especially bad one. I don't want people to hear you say Griffin smelled the diaper and got scared. <laughs> this one was bad. This one it was, was basically bad. the first thing you said to me when I came down this morning. I wanted you to share it with me because you had missed the inciting event. You just came downstairs. You were like, is it Christmas? But you didn't have to be there for the un-Christmas <laughs> that happened. Um. Yeah. So anyway, so I was thinking about smell. Okay. And and then I was thinking about like what is what is the science of smell? And I'm not really interested, I think, in how humans smell. I'm more interested in like the science around determining smell uh, and whether or not there's like a whole field behind it. And of course there is. Yeah. Um, the thing I found first though was the St. Croix Sensory Descriptor Wheel, which was published in 2002 Ooh. that lists types of smells and then subcategories under that. That's fascinating. So we've got floral, we've got fruity, we've got vegetable, we've got earthy, fishy, chemical, medicinal, and then finally, offensive. Okay. I I would push eh, vegetable. So and smell. under each of these categories, they have these subheadings. Oh wow. Okay. Cuz sometimes you're like, "Oh, I wonder, you know, what would we call I don't know. Most of these are pretty clearly fit where they would fit i was going to push back against vegetable but then i thought like does you know celery corn cucumber garlic grass grass i think would be earthy oh yeah sure uh yeah but offensive i think is an interesting category (laughs) offensive feels like it's a catch-all for everything that's not anything else a lot of it is like you know decay you know wasty kind of smells um but burnt is also in there okay which is kind of fun sure um, and so then I was like, well, well tell but me. But burnt can be good. Like campfire smell is good. But then I guess do we wrap back around to, is that, I mean, it's burning wood. Now is that mm-hmm. earthy? Mm-hmm. Burnt wood is earthy. Okay, it's, cool. it's under the earthy list. Cool. Asked, asked and answered. That's what we do on this show. 
So when I found this uh, St. Croix sensory descriptor wheel, of course, I was like, well, I got to find out about this St. Croix sensory, which is a lab located. uh, There's actually two locations now. It started in Minnesota, and there is now one in Canada. uh, They got different different smells up there. Toronto. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then I found a New York Times article uh, that really just kind of got the whole thing together. So it it got the basically the guy behind the St. Croix sensory. This is an article published January 2022 by the New York Times. And it's all about Chuck McGinley, who invented that machine, the nose telescope. That's, <laughs> he, he calls it the nose ranger. Now, wait a minute. Is that a double barrel nose telescope or is he using two I think of we're them? seeing we're seeing the side more with the dial whereas in that other picture oh I see okay we didn't you know we couldn't see but the dial is now over I here. see it okay mm-hmm. cool it's just a different different vantage point um how on God's green earth could that machine possibly work so there have been machines like that for a while um this of course the nasal ranger is like the most precise. Go, go, nasal ranger. <laughs> I need the nasal ranger to come fucking morph my shit. <laughs> um, olfactometers were invented more than a century ago. That's in, that's, okay. I can't believe that this thing exists, let alone has existed for over 10 decades. Well, so here's the thing about smells, right? So a smell, you know, it can be just like a, like a, oh, hey, this smells like this. Or it can be like a real warning, like, you know, sure. pollution and and different hazards can cause like severe effects to like your eyes, nose, and throat, right. you know? And so, like the diaper, like this morning's diaper. Like this morning's diaper, <laughs> which would be in the offensive category, which we know now. Um, but uh, this guy, Chuck McGinley, um got started it's actually interesting so a lot of this falls under the vantage point of like environmental protection uh and so he got connected to it through the minnesota pollution control agency um before that he was at 3m and he was involved with the creation of scratch and sniff technology that's amazing he said he had a very small part he was very quick to like say in the interview it was not me i was not the guy but that's where I came from. Okay. I respect that. Mm-hmm. So he, <laughs> in, the, in the interview in the New York Times, he talked about moving to the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency and kind of talking about his experience. And the interviewer for him in this position at the time says, the odor position pays more. <laughs> that's cool. That's not what I would want to be called. So he was hired as part of the agency's odor inspection team. This feel this feels like some real blue collar comedy tour. Like a bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Federal odor inspector. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could see Lawrence the cable gentleman being like, <laughs> "Yeah, he, he, my wife is an odor inspector, but not by choice." That's really good, honey. I that I tapped into something. <laughs> um. So Chuck and his son, Mike, um, are, are in charge of this lab, St. Croix Sensory. And they initially, it was, it was all around pollution. Their clients were largely like sewage treatment plants, uh, people who were concerned basically about putting out smells into the world. Yeah. 
But now they have taken on some fun tasks, uh, including uh, testing work for food and consumer goods, as well as recipes for immersive theater troops and museums. Cool. So some of the examples uh, for a local theater production, he created 22 smells, including one to mimic an old woman's apartment. So a real 4DX Mm -hmm. experience Mm -hmm. in live theater. Uh, The other example, when a detergent company wanted to test the smell of freshly laundered towels that had previously been mildew, it couldn't spend six months waiting for towels to mildew, so Mike developed a mold smell. They couldn't wait six months. How urgent was this? I mean, I guess you don't just keep mildewing towels. When you invest your resources, you're going to pay a bunch of people to sit around for six months and wait for a towel to mold? Well, no, I wouldn't have a full-time mildew watcher. (laughs) But these are salaried employees who've got nothing to do. Yeah, that's fair. This one's interesting. A group was hired to... they were trained to categorize and to describe smells. So like what I was telling you, floral, earthy, whatever. Uh, and then they conducted a test for a cat litter brand. So they worked in a room lined with stainless steel boxes, each with a small hole designed for nasal masks, which is another invention that this McGinley guy made. Uh, and inside the boxes were different litter formations and a control, which was sand, all freshly deposited with urine and poop. Oh, it's the worst room. That they had sourced from feline-owning friends. I heard about this. It's the worst room. (laughs) The worst room. They were trying to figure out what's the worst room we could make. (laughs) And then someone was like, what if we made a room that was just cat litter that had different peas and poops in it, all over it? And it won the prize. So these people had to go through and deeply smell. Worst job. Mm -hmm. Worst job, worst room. Yeah. I'm glad someone's doing it, I guess. Okay, so the way the nasal ranger works is it quantifies the perceived odor level as dilutions to threshold. This is determined as the number of dilution needed to make the ambient air odor just detectable. So they start out at kind of the highest level, and then they like dial this thing to a point, and then they measure how long that dial is to determine. So it measures the power of the stink. Interesting. Yes. Okay, that kind of makes sense to me. I thought it made it so you could smell far away stinks better. But it sounds like it's more a measurement of atmospheric non-stink to stink. Yeah, there's a video online, um, and I showed you a still from that video, and, and the woman is explaining how to use it. And basically, she's like, we come out to the site, and we just smell what we can smell normally. And then we put up the nasal ranger, and we start at like a 60 and then just dial until we get to where it disappears. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's everything you've said today has been fascinating so far. I know. I I feel like I knew about some of this just from my brother's inexplicable obsession with fragrance. Yeah, and so the fragrance market. This was recently featured on Stephen Colbert. Apparently, a location I can't remember where had had enlisted the services of this lab and the nasal ranger because they were trying to detect like marijuana like fields okay so they were trying to figure out where they were and they wanted to use the nasal ranger to like pinpoint it that's fascinating that's fascinating i could think of about a million more fun ways of using a machine (laughs) like this 
But I suppose, you know, do do with it what you will. Mm-hmm. How do I get my hands on one of these things? Uh, so they're like $3,400. That Worth it. Sure. Okay. I mean, you can go to the website and then get hooked up. Okay. Well, if you see a transaction in our bank account. <laughs> uh-huh. For 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 Stinkin- Stinkonomics Incorporated for thirty four hundred dollars, you will know what that is for, and then you'll see me using it. That'll probably be an even more sort of explicit clue that I've purchased a stinkometer. <laughs> I forget what it's called, nasal ranger. Come nasal on, nasal ranger. Way better things we could call it than a nasal ranger. Stink. St- I see. To me, it like conjures like an old west kind of like. Okay. Like a like a a lone hero. I mean, the Lone Ranger, you're just, yeah, you've just added the word. Yeah. <laughs> that's hey, what can, I'm can I steal you away? Yes. Cool. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality, and you think that I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghostwriter, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia <laughs> Styles episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell uh, your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in wow the yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain griffin yeah you know it's a shame what is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? <laughs> it's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. <laughs> factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, there's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? <laughs> Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters with, I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. Since the dawn of time, man has dreamed of bringing life back from the dead. From Orpheus and Eurydice to Frankenstein's monster, resurrection has long been merely the stuff of myth, fiction, and fairy tale until now. Mm-hmm. 
Actually, we still can't bring people back from the dead. That would be crazy. But the Dead Pilot Society podcast has found a way to resurrect great dead comedy pilots from Hollywood's finest writers. Every month, Dead Pilot Society brings you a reading of a comedy pilot that was sold and developed but never produced, performed by the funniest actors from film and television. How does Dead Pilot Society achieve this miracle? The answer can only be found at MaximumFun.org. Hello, dreamers. This is Evelyn Denton, CEO of the only world-class, fully immersive theme resort, Steeplechase. You know, I've been seeing more and more reports on the blogs that our beloved park simply isn't safe anymore. Mur murdered them? I'm gonna wreck it. They say they got mugged by brigands in the fantasy kingdom of Ephemera, or hijacked by space pirates in Infinitum. I mean, I could have a knife. My papa said that I needed to do a crime. Friends, I'm here to reassure you that it's all part of the show. These criminals were really just overzealous staff trying to make things a little more magical for our guests. We're just as safe as we've always been. This isn't a county fair, dreamers. This is Steeplechase. The Adventure Zone. Every Thursday at MaximumFun.org. My topic may surprise you. It's not exactly on brand for me. But what is my brand? A lot of critics Eating are talking- Eating bananas. That was the most hurtful. <laughs> Eating bananas without taking the peel off. That's the most hurtful thing you've ever done. To Putting me. amiibos in your mouth. God, jeez, Rachel. <laughs> You're holding two daggers <laughs> dripping with my blood. You're really, really pleased with yourself right now. I'm. I, anybody else? No way. You saying those things and seeing how delighted you literally have one hand to your mouth. Like I'm trying to think of a third thing. <laughs> That's even worse. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Butterflies. <laughs> That's the third thing now. Butterflies. My three things are eat bananas, <laughs> eating Nintendo toys, not eating, but just sort of admiring butterflies. Uh-huh. I have a note in my notes talking about how I don't want to eat a butterfly. So we're going <laughs> to circle back up. We're going to hit that okay. point really hard. Um, I'm not a big bug guy, sort of in general, but objectively speaking, I think the fact that butterflies exist, pretty fucking bonkers. They're pretty, they're pretty wild when you look at the arc of a butterfly. And I would like to discuss that and break that down with you. Yeah, I mean, they're so pretty. So pretty. You're just walking around and then all of a sudden there's just like a little little stained glass monster just like just hovering by you there are a lot of bugs that fly but most of them are not pretty not nah, yeah right like most uh, I, i'm sure all bugs are beautiful in the lord's eyes but a lot of them leave a lot of opportunity on the table sort of aesthetically speaking but butterflies <laughs> are living their best lives every day i'm just picturing you rating bugs like hot or not i could do that mm -hmm. for sure i don't know anything about bugs but i know what i like and I like butterflies. <laughs> and let me say a lot of people who love butterflies and talk about how much they love butterflies also hate moths. I'm not one of those guys. I think moths are great too. Sometimes they're hairy. That's great for me. A nice, a big, fat, hairy moth. Cute. I love all yeah, that. Yeah, and moths have patterns too, sure. you know? Like that's exciting. Sure. But today we're going to mostly be focusing on butterflies. Uh, they've been around for 200 million years or so. We've got uh, fossil data sort of tracking them back that far. Uh, they actually did evolve from moths. They just got a big glow up, I guess. 
Uh, there's some 18,500 species of butterflies, which is a lot, and they're on every continent except Antarctica because that would be that that would be a very cold butterfly. Um, they are polymorphic, which means that I mean it means that animals within the same sort of subset or species can look dramatically different, can have all of these different sort of markings, yeah, okay. like uh, leopards and you know any other number of. Uh, uh, patterned animals like that. Uh, their patterns can be camouflage or they can be aposematic, which means they look poisonous or otherwise sort of uh, threatening to an animal, which makes you not want to eat it. And on that note, I will say, butterflies are crushing it in that regard. I've never seen a butterfly and been like, yum. What's an insect that you have seen and thought, yum? I mean, I have eaten an insect before, once at the Cincinnati Zoo on a church trip. Oh, do you have like a grasshopper or something? Uh, it was like a like a, a tiny little mealworm sort of experience. Whoa, tiny one, not like a grub. It didn't. It wasn't wiggling. Um, oh. I think I've eaten a cricket too. Yeah, um, I've had crickets before. Yeah, it's whatever. Um, they're migratory. Everybody knows that, right? But I didn't understand it. I imagine a lot of people don't either just how migratory they are. Because you hear about the monarch butterfly, right? Monarch butterfly, originally native to North America, has ended up in other parts of the world for the past couple hundred years. Uh, and folks aren't 100% sure. Either a big wind got a butterfly all the way over to, you know, Europe and Asia and Africa, or, you know, they ended up on a boat, which must that, have been pretty disorienting. That seems more likely. Um, they, the monarch butterfly, you know, they travel coast to coast. They can travel up to 3,000 miles to reach warmer climates before the, the winter strikes. Um, but the British painted lady butterfly performs a migration that spans 9,000 miles round trip. Uh, going between tropical Africa and the Arctic Circle. And it's a route that takes six whole generations to complete. Whoa. Can you imagine if we were like, we're going on a road trip. Our great, great, great grandchildren will be the, will, wow, will arrive there. That is beautiful. I mean, if you think about the immigrant experience, it is often to provide your children a better life, but I think you assume that you're going to get to see some of that. Yeah. 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 Not that you, Yeah. But butterfly lifespans range pretty dramatically. They can live up to like a year, but most of them live like a matter of weeks uh, in their adult stage. Uh, and everybody who's read The Very Hungry Caterpillar knows all about the the life cycle, right? I'm not telling you anything you don't know. They lay eggs on a leaf. They pop out the egg. They eat until <laughs> they, they eat can. And eat they and eat, eat and eat and eat until they cannot move. Uh, and then they poop out a little bit of... Uh, silk to attach themselves to a, a leaf or a stick and then they form a chrysalis and then they turn into a butterfly. Yeah. Um, that process, I'd like to get a little bit deeper into. I would also. Yes? <laughs> that I would like you to do it because I don't know that I fully oh, understand. Oh, okay. We've, I don't think we usually do that on this show where they're like, we just are like... <laughs> Let me take it from here. You go now. Um, so first off, some caterpillars, most caterpillars obviously chill, 
going around eating a leaf, eating through one big juicy orange, but they're still hungry, right? Some of them are predators. Uh, they eat stuff like ant eggs and larva, some species of caterpillar. Uh, some caterpillars form a symbiotic relationship with ant colonies where the ants will like protect them in their larval form uh, in exchange for the caterpillars collecting honeydew secretions for the ant colonies. Wild. There's one, I can't remember, I think it's uh, blue butterfly? I forget, or blue caterpillar, I forget what it's called. Uh, it actually tricks the ants and into being like, let's form a partnership. And then the ants take the caterpillar larvae to their nest and the caterpillar just eats all their eggs and larvae and just has just like a real nice sort of buffet situation going for them, which is diabolical. Um, obviously, the most interesting thing about butterflies is that they, you know, climb into a little sleeping bag made out of skin and then essentially dissolve. And then they come out two weeks later completely different. Most butterflies don't spin cocoons. I'm terrible at like keeping the mnemonic device straight of like between moths and butterflies, which ones do cocoons, which ones do chrysalises. There's a mnemonic device? No. Okay. That's what I'm saying. There should be. Okay. Um some some butterflies do, you know, spin spin cocoons around themselves, but most of them just do a chrysalis. Uh, which essentially just means that they molt like uh their 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 skin. And so it literally is just sort of a skin bag and then everything inside of it uh, d dissolves into goo and they just kind of hope that in the two weeks it takes for them to turn into a butterfly, no like super nasty bird comes and has yeah. the worst gusher ever. Um, that process that takes place inside the chrysalis is called hollow metabolism. And it's the wildest shit in nature. Caterpillars aren't the only bugs that... Uh, do this right there's actually quite a few insects that if you think about their larval form to their adult form or their imago form uh just dramatically different unrecognizable right but yeah. the only one to get away with it but uh their particular steez is bonkers they literally uh shed their skin which they do several times throughout their caterpillar lifestyle they they uh uh what's what's the word i'm looking for they molt right uh, and then while they're sort of inside of their, their own skin, they digest themselves using the same juices that they use to eat and process food, okay? And then they turn their body into a bunch of what are called imaginal cells, which sounds very, very frivolous yeah. and uh, delightful. Uh, imaginal cells are basically cells that can be repurposed into anything, right? They can be, you could have your antenna that you dissolve down that could turn out to be part of a wing because it turns into this sort of free form building block cell that can be repurposed. How have in we every... not harnessed this technology to like cure cancer? Doesn't it seem or like Or should... become big butterfly men. <laughs> okay, over that, yeah. Of course that, uh-huh. A curing cancer, obviously an important sort of target for humanity. To be able to start as one cell and turn into any kind of cell you want. It's like, wild. Yeah. Uh, and for a long time, we didn't know like sort of how it worked. Uh, and we still don't exactly know, but basically there's like a deep genome, like deeply, deeply embedded inside the caterpillar that once it's just this bag of free form unassigned cells, they start to cluster together uh, into these, you know, various systems that the genome kind of recognizes and then kind of like 
you know, takes takes the wheel from there after it reaches a certain tipping point. That whole time that this hollow metabolism is happening inside of the chrysalis, the caterpillar's immune system is fighting it. Whoa. The caterpillar's immune system is like, I don't know what the fuck is going on in here, but this is not a caterpillar. I am yeah. 100. I have one job here, and it's to make sure that the caterpillar's a caterpillar, and it feels like something pretty fishy is going on around here. But then eventually... This genome sort of starts to weave these different uh, systems together, and then the the butterfly takes over. And I have so many all. more questions now yeah, as dog. a result of this segment. Like, how does a caterpillar know when it is supposed to come on a butterfly? This is the well. I mean, it's it's. I mean, like so many things, it it, it is instinct, right? It's like it's God, embedded in. Make the, a skin bag for myself. Well, literally, they are driven by appetite to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and grow because they have to uh, or or else they'll die. And then does the skin bag just start forming around them without uh, even them doing anything? No, because they have to post up, right? They have to find a, a, a secluded place. Yeah, them. but like when bears hibernate, it's like cold. Like uh, I get there's a trigger. Like what's so the sometimes trigger? actually some uh, butterfly species can actually uh, do a do their pupil stage extended over like a couple of months mm-hmm. to actually pupate during the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of them do that, but it is something that they can do. But the smart ones do. The smart ones do, right? Um, but I think it's just that they are constantly molting. They're molting. They, they're, you know, larval uh, caterpillar stage has like several phases. Yeah. And they must just reach one where they have gotten so big, literally too big for their britches, splitting at the seams. And they're like, oh, shit. It's just wild now that you talked about that immune system being like, wait, this you're not supposed to be this. Makes me wonder, well, like, but th- their biology is driving them to be this. Yeah. There's a lot of big stuff to unpack here. I mean, when you start to think about, like, the what is it, the ship of the- thesis? Is that what it's called? You're the, asking the wrong girl. Does a butterfly remember it was a caterpillar? Mm. If its fucking brain got <laughs> digested and then turned into a butterfly butt, like, is it capable of being like, oh, damn, I should hit up Tony. We, we used to chop it up when we were caterpillar butt. Are they like, you know, this butterfly form's okay, but I think I actually liked being a caterpillar better. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know that that wisdom. Can we bring a butterfly into the studio to ask some questions? I'm literally looking uh, this up, like as we speak. Uh, yeah, it's it's not like completely known how much butterflies, if anything, can can remember their caterpillar lives. A lot of it is, I mean, some of the sort of instinct stuff. Uh, they did a, a test. Let's see. Uh, researchers at Georgetown University actually did a test where they trained caterpillars to dislike the smell of ethyl acetate, uh, and then they sort of trained them to avoid the smell, and then they transformed into, uh, it was actually moths, uh, and most of them still remembered to stay away from the ethyl acetate That's a fascinating, I seriously thought they were like showing themselves, like pictures, like, remember this guy? This is your dad. (laughs) How could you forget? No, right? Like you talk about memory is such an abstract thing. Yeah. Right. That, I'm picturing th- them like putting little mirrors in front of them every day. And right. And one day they look in the mirror and they're like, wait, what? I don't know. I mean, we get it. When you consider this sort of whole process through a human lens, it is it is horrifying, <laughs> which I think is maybe part of the reason why we're so fascinated with them. Partially yeah. because they, they look so cool, but also partially because they 
literally they they break down at this cellular level and then turn into something completely it's not like an uh direct evolutionary process where you're like oh that antenna just turned into a bigger antenna yeah i mean that's the thing like humans transform obviously through our lifetime and like times like puberty are pretty big crazy weird times but we still look like people at the end of it you know yeah ship of theseus is what i was trying to remember it's the thing where they if you take a ship and then you replace it board by board until it's completely oh. new parts, it's still the same ship, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't mean to d- start a sort of existential nosedive with this segment. Yeah, right. Uh, I don't get that when I look at butterflies. <laughs> uh, I, I, it, but at the same time, I don't know. It is kind of hard to avoid, and it is kind of like rad, right? That we well, have all of these preconceived notions of like what it means to to exist and to to have. Uh, form and function and then butterflies just sort of uh, aren't as concerned with all of that well and it's always been used as this like symbol of like you know kind of like becoming the most beautiful version of yourself no it's melted yes (laughs) you're my butterfly sugar baby do you know what you're saying right now when you say that it's more like when when somebody blossoms into a more attractive version of themselves a lot of times people will say like oh the caterpillar became the butterfly but But even that's not it would be like if i went on a retreat a solo monastic cloistered mission just me and then i came back and i was a bicycle My human cells. I get nervous because I'd see you eating a lot, and I'd be like, "What's going on?" I wonder with what's Griffin? going on. And then I'd be like, "Hey, I got to go up to a mountain, the the, the Smoky Mountains." Oh man! And you came back a bicycle, and yeah. you might not even remember me. No, probably not. That's sad. Unless you start training me now to be afraid of your smell. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. Anyway, butterflies are fucking cool. I think uh, it, you know I'm not going around looking at pictures of butterflies all the time. But (laughs) when I think about uh, how uh, all of the sort of idiosyncratic ways that they, uh, that they live, it's, uh, it's endlessly fascinating to me. Um, And I was happy to learn more about them. Yeah. That's cool. So that's it for this show. Very science. I know. Very science one. This one. I know. We probably said a lot of wrong things. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, but they felt right enough to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, and this is like reading Rainbow. Like, you don't have to take my word for it. Like, Oh, that's good. Like, go look it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks to Bowen and Augustus for the use of our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. Uh, thank you to uh, the Maximum Fun Network for yes. having us on the network. Uh, wonderful, wonderful bunch of folks there. And um, uh, we have a new graphic novel that is out. It's this out. week. It's the, uh, the, the Adventure Zone uh, 11th hour graphic novel, the fifth book in the series. It's uh, if you like Groundhog Day or Time Loop sort of adventures, uh, what's, the, what's the Bloom House? The Happy Death Day, I think, is one. There's so many of these types yeah, of things. I this is one of them. I'm glad the that West. you said that because I feel like a lot of times you guys refer to the arcs. And for me, it doesn't conjure exactly what was happening in the story. 
Yeah. And so it's helpful for you to be like, you know, it's the one where they did the same thing over and over again and tried to get but different results. But that sounds bad when you say it <laughs> that way. Okay. It's a book where the same thing keeps happening over and over again. No. no. You, I, I like, I mean, that's the kind of sci-fi that I like. Sure. You know, where it's like, it's not about like, you know, crazy monsters with a thousand arms. There are some of those though, but that's okay. Um, anyway, you can find that at all, all great booksellers. Uh, and uh, I mean, if you go to McElroy.family, you can find links to just like everything, man. Uh, our YouTube channel, for instance, the McElroy family, mm-hmm. we've been doing, uh, streams where we play classic Nintendo and Super Nintendo games all together in an online lobby. Uh, and that's been a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, you can find a bunch of stuff there too. That's going to do it though, for this episode of Science Corner with rate. Well, we can't say corner. I guess there's four corners in yeah, most Yeah, we're rooms. allowed to have multiple we corners. We have Poetry Corner. We have Science Corner. I feel like Gaming Corner, maybe I just have my own corner where I sort just of Just Griffin stuff? Yeah, where I keep my games and my figurines, all my wonderful, uh, you know, I got my big bust of Deadpool, you know. <laughs> Well, we have a lot of corners. I mean, maybe it's just a, you know, it's like Octagonal. a- Octagonal. Yeah, right? Because there's there's music, there's there's nostalgia, there's food. Those don't have to go in the corner. We can scatter those across the floor. Oh, so what necessitates a corner? Um, I think it's a place you go and you have to be in a certain headspace for it. Okay, okay. That's when, good. When you come to Science Corner, we put on our science hats and put away childish jokes and teach, yeah. become teachers. Yeah. That's interesting. Most noble profession. And then when we do Poetry Corner, you kind of do that, but I I just kind of <laughs> sit there and rec- I'm the pupil. I'm in my pupil stage. <laughs> when you read poetry to me, uh-huh. I turn into a flesh bag of... <laughs> unassigned cells and but i come out the other end beautiful butterfly every time yeah it's <laughs> really exhausting yeah goodbye MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.